I want you to, I want all of you to look within yourselves. And see how much compassion you have. Towards one and all. One is you, and all is everyone else. I don't expect there to be any difference. The compassion you have towards one is the compassion you must have towards all. If it is true compassion you have towards oneself, then that compassion will always be the same to all as well. Something our teacher always reminds us. There are no two kinds of Nibbana, my Nibbana and someone else's Nibbana. Nibbana is Nibbana. Those who seek Nibbana for themselves is not seeking, are not seeking Nibbana at all. It's something else. Because Nibbana is the fight against Dukkha. It is because of Dukkha we feel that it is us who is waging this war. It is because of Dukkha you feel that whatever is happening to you is happening to you. So then therefore there can't be my Nibbana and someone else's Nibbana. The very premise of that is misplaced, isn't it? So if you reach within your hearts and in your minds and look at how much compassion you have towards all sentient beings. If it is compassion for one and all, then you can be pleased with yourselves about that. Dukkha is everywhere. In every heart that ignorance has managed to reach, in every mind that detachment has managed to take hold of, there is Dukkha. You've got to wonder why the Buddha, having attained Buddhahood, spent the remainder of his life, when he'd already achieved what he wanted, why did he spend the rest of his life roaming the earth, going as far as his mortal body could carry him, to spread the Dhamma and to free as many hearts and minds, as many souls as he could touch, when he had already achieved what he wanted. Why does an Arahant try to heal others when they have no vexation? The Buddha does not suffer because you suffer. So then why does he go spreading the Dhamma? Now you suffer when your children suffer, don't you? That is why your children's suffering is different to someone else's child's suffering. There's a difference there. So compassion is then therefore not one and all. The compassion you have usually, the compassion that you have towards one, is different to the compassion you have towards all. But if the compassion that you have is for one and all, and it is the same, that's a very different kind of compassion. It's compassion on a whole other level. Because the battle against Dukkha still remains, even after the Buddha has become a Buddha, doesn't it? Dukkha is still there. 
So what is Nibbana? It is the fight against Jati, against Dukkha. So if Dukkha is still there, the Buddha still has work to do. Otherwise, why would he go preaching the Dhamma? If he has already managed to defeat it. And that is the essence of this. And Arahant strives from there on until his last breath to free minds from Dukkha because the fight against Dukkha still prevails. Dukkha is still there. Before he has become an Arahant or maybe when he is still a Pratakjana he might still he might feel that there is suffering. I suffer, you suffer, she suffers, he suffers, these people suffer, we all suffer. At the point he has become a Sotapanna he begins to realize that it is not an individual who is suffering but suffering happens and when suffering happens you feel that it is you who is suffering. You perceive such. But then he understands the essence behind this and then he dedicates his life to freedom from suffering. Who's suffering? Exactly. Just suffering. Now his fight is against suffering. So he carries on that fight. And at some point, if there are an infinite number of sufferings going on, an infinite number minus one is how much? Still infinite. So the fight against suffering is still not done. This is why an arhant, even after having become an arhant, or the Buddha, even after having become a Buddha, still wages war. That is why he is not prepared to let go of his life faculty just because he has attained Buddhahood. And that is why when the Mara invited him, as you will have heard on three separate occasions, on all but the last, what was his response? Until I have established the Buddha Sasana. And what is this Buddha Sasana? The army that wages war against suffering. Because he knows for 5,000 years this battle will wage. And, then, and from there on, there is not much he can do. His sasana will come to have, will have come to an end. And then there will be a time where then, when there will be no Buddhas. And in those times, Mara or suffering or Jati will prevail. And there is nothing we can do about it. And then after a long time, Another Buddha will come along and he will wage that war. For how many years, we don't know yet. This he knows, but he understands. For the next 5,000 years, there's going to be a battle against suffering. And just because he has attained Buddhahood doesn't mean the fight is over. Because it's not his suffering and our suffering. If you can get your head around the concept that I'm just trying to explain to you, you have understood the essence of Nibbana. You have understood the core principle of what I'm trying to explain to you. That is what we're here for. That is what these talks are for. To help you understand that it is not you who is suffering, but there is just suffering. And when suffering happens, you feel like it is you who is suffering. See, the very fact that an Arahant does not give up the fight against suffering, the very fact that he carries on preaching the Dhamma even when he has freed himself from suffering, is evidence, ladies and gentlemen, is it not, that suffering is not something that belongs to anyone. Otherwise, why would he bother? Something to think about. Let's use these sermons to understand this. So, 
we bring our palms together then. In veneration of he who still lives among us. You think he passed away? <laughs> no, the fight against suffering is still here. It still prevails. That is the Buddha who lives within you. As long as you bear the Dhamma, as long as you, you bear the flag of the Noble Triple Gem, the fight against suffering, the war against Jati will continue. But it is he who started this. It is he who was the pioneer, who waged the first, who raised the first sword against it, who made the clarion call, let's begin for the next 5,000 years. Me and my clan, my clan of Shakyans, will wage this war. So the great sage of the Shakyans, the Shakyamuni, the great emperor of those who battle against the Mara, he who is the greatest in all three worlds, the Trilokanatha, let us make this veneration to his holy name. And reminding ourselves that we are here with purpose, we are here to join that battle and continue this war until it is done within ourselves at least. Let us take a moment to do that then. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato Samma Sambuddhasa Destitution Helpless minds are destitute. The very fact that someone thinks that when they need something, they go after it. And they do it so confidently that acquiring it will help them free themselves from the need for it. Is destitution. When people think that they need ice cream, what do they do? They buy ice cream. What do you think that is called? Destitution. Eating ice cream is not the answer to craving ice cream. But that is what people know. And therefore that is what people do. You know this well and truly because your life contains a, an infinite number of examples of this. Whenever you wanted something, if, you, if what you did was go and get it. Today, perhaps you are beginning to understand that but that was pointless. Perhaps you are beginning to understand this. The degree to which you understand this is the degree to which you have freed yourself from destitution. This is what we call anatha. That's why the Buddha is called anatha-natha. 
He is the freer of those who are destitute. It seems like the logical thing to do. That's the problem. The most illogical thing to do seems like the logical thing to do. Does it not? I want ice cream. What seems like the logical thing to do? Go and have some ice cream. Seems like the most logical response, right? But it is the most illogical thing to do. How do we know this? What do you mean, how do we know this, Swami <laughs> Yeah. It's what we've always done. And that is why you still want ice cream. So you see, eating ice cream is not the answer to craving ice cream. People think that they crave ice cream because they don't have ice cream. So when they crave ice cream, they go eat ice cream. When they eat ice cream, they feel a sense of pleasure. A moment of euphoria, a moment of freedom from a vexation that has been built up in the mind, but because of ignorance they feel that it is the lack of ice cream, me not having ice cream that was a problem all along, and now that I've had some ice cream, I feel good, so therefore the answer to this is eating ice cream. Destitution reinforced. See, time after time after time, when you see no other answer, you just keep doing what you've always been doing. This is the lay attitude that I always keep going on about. This is the lay attitude. If you want to understand what makes you lay, this is what makes you lay. It is not what you are dressed in today. It is not the fact that you are in a shirt and trousers or a skirt and blouse or whether you are in robes. Layness is a mentality. Monkhood is also a mentality. Are you an adherent of the principles of Buddhist philosophy? If so, you are a monk. This is a conventional monk. I'm talking about absolute monkhood. Who is not reborn after death? A conventional monk? Or an absolute monk? An absolute monk. Who is freed from suffering? A conventional monk or an absolute monk? An absolute monk. Who has seen jati? A conventional monk or an absolute monk? The absolute monk. You know the answer to these questions now then. So who is not reborn? Who is freed from suffering? Who has sought liberation? The answer is not a conventional monk. There are plenty of conventional monks who are far from that destination. It is your attitude. What is your approach to life when you feel that you need to eat ice cream? Ice cream is just one example, of course. So you can substitute that with anything that you want in life. Just look into your lives. Think back to the past week. All of you, I mean. It's not just those who have come from home, including those who consider this home. Or maybe if your home is just a stone throws away. What is your approach? When you want something, do you go and get it? If so, that is a lay attitude. You are destitute. So the understanding of Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist teaching, is to help us come out of that destitution. 
This is the wrong way of thinking. Because here's the vicious cycle. Tell me how you can come out of this. There's one thing that is there throughout this process. Ignorance. And its sibling, attachment. The moment that ignorance comes into your mind, you start wanting something. What is ignorance? This knowledge, it's knowledge. There's right, there are two kinds of knowledge, isn't there? There's right knowledge and there's wrong knowledge, good knowledge and bad knowledge. The knowledge that you can be pleased by your association with sights and sounds and smells and taste and touch. How do you know that we're all, we're all born with this? Go stand in front of the mirror. What do you see? Oh no, wait. The fact that you can see is proof that what? You believe that pleasure can come from the outside world. The fact that you can see. How is that proof? Yeah. Why were you born with the faculty of sight? The very fact that you have these two things on your face, and these two things on the side of your face, this one sticking out from your face, and this one ready to always take something inside your face, is evidence that ignorance took over your mind. It hijacked your mind at some point. So therefore you opened your five senses in the hope that pleasure can come to you from the outside world. So then you started wanting. See, look at this vicious cycle. And tell me if you can, without the Buddha's teaching, how you can come out of this. You're all a very educated group of people. Very learned, very educated, very erudite. Without the Buddha's help, tell me how you can come out of this. There are doctors, engineers, and lawyers, and teachers, and mathematicians, and physicists, and chemists, and all sorts, right? I think together we can rule the world. There's enough knowledge and know-how and experience here. At least, you know, at least for one day I think we can rule the world. Then they'll kick us out. <laughs> but at least for one day... I think we could, we could rule the world. There's enough knowledge here for that. But without the Buddha's teaching, tell me how you can come out of this. So you begin to want. 
You want because you think it will come to you somehow. Sometime it will come to you, so you want. So you, then you start doing what? You start seeking it. <clears throat> Abhisankar. You start seeking it. In the hope that you will achieve it somehow. At some point, you acquire. What do you acquire? Not it. That which you feel is it. It's not it. It's not happiness. Because there's no happiness outside, is there? Your eyes can't bring you happiness. What can your eyes bring you? See, your eyes can only bring you sight. It can't bring you joy. It can't bring you pleasure. It can't bring you happiness. It can only bring you sight. But the mind is not seeking sight. It's looking for happiness. It's looking for pleasure. But the eyes bring you sight. Failing that, then it turns its attention to this sense door. Well, you failed me. Let's, let's see if you can do it. So the ear brings in what? Brings in sound, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't bring it pleasure. Doesn't bring it happiness. None of the five sense doors are capable of giving you what you are seeking. But you acquire something. You acquire what your sense doors can bring you. And that is sight, sound, smell, taste and touch. Remember the mind is still seeking. It's still ignorant. Throughout this process it's ignorant. Even when a sight comes in, a fragment of sight, an element of sight comes in, the mind is still confident that I will be able to achieve happiness from this. So therefore, it's still there, it's still trying to do this. See how destitute the mind is. Desperation. And desperation leads the mind to imagine, to create this imaginary sense, this perception, that it has achieved what it thought was out there in the world. Not what it is, but what it thought. Only a mind is capable of doing this. Only a mind is capable of hallucinations. Only a mind is capable of dreaming. Only a mind is capable of creating an imaginary world. That's why it's called an imaginary world. You have to imagine it. It's not really out there. So when it feels that it has acquired what it thought it has, now it feels pleased. It feels pleased with itself. Ooh, got what I wanted. But has it? It hasn't. However, that experience in that moment, that sense of pleasure, that freedom from vexation, gives us this self-sense of assurance that yes, I have now achieved it, which goes into feeding ignorance again. See, every time this cycle is run, that's why this is called the vicious cycle. Every, st- every time this cycle iterates, you keep feeding the fuel and turning up the, the energy force that keeps driving this. That's why we've come long enough in sansara to go many times the journey that we've already come. There's plenty of stuff stored there in our fuel tanks to keep going for much longer than we have all come. For much, much longer. Even if you stop doing karma now, there's plenty to keep you going for a long, long time. Plenty. And then that feeds wanting again. Because of course, if you're more, the more ignorant you are, the more you what? The more you want. Why do you want? 
Because you feel it's out there. You think it's out there. So when you think it's out there, of course you want it. And when you want it, you start seeking it. And when you seek it, you acquire what? Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. And then, because you're ignorant, you think, this certainly is going to give me pleasure. And then the mind starts to work on it. Of course, there's no pleasure to be had because the eyes don't bring pleasure. I mean, ask a scientist whether the eyes bring pleasure. They'd say no, because it is only light rays that can go through your retinas. Pleasure can't. Are there any pleasure receptors on the back of your eyes? There aren't. In the ear, are there any pleasure receptors? No, there are vibration receptors. That's what there are. In your nostrils, are there pleasure receptors? No, there are smell receptors. And on your tongue, there are things called pleasure buds, aren't there? Are there? No, there are things called taste buds. So then where does pleasure come from? If our sense organs can only bring us these five things, sights and sounds and smells and taste and touch, are there things called pleasure receptors on your skin? No. There's pressure, there's touch, there's pain, but where are the pleasure receptors? No such thing. Yes, there's pleasure and pain in physical contact, but I'm not talking about the physical aspect of it. I'm talking about how you feel about it. For instance, two people rub you on your hand like this. How it makes you feel depends on, well, for, for to, to, make, to decide how, how that makes you feel, you've got to see the face connected to the hand. So you, you trace it all the way back. Right to the, to, the, to the elbow, then up the arm, the upper arm, the, the, the neck, the face. Oh, okay, I recognize this person. Now that feels better than if it were somebody else. This very touch can have two different emotional stimuli, depending on who this touch belongs to, who it comes from. You know this stuff, don't you? So it didn't come from touch then. So therefore pleasure is not out here. So if pleasure is not in the five senses, how, ladies and gentlemen, do you experience this pleasure? And why do people think that it comes from the outside world? And you see, for as long as they believe that, it is, that the source of it is from the outside, they will forever keep wanting it. Then you wonder why people are born and reborn and keep coming back. See, what is rebirth after all? The mind seeking it is the product of the mind seeking pleasure from the outside world because you have to be reborn in this world because you believe pleasure is in this world. Once the mind realizes that pleasure is not in this world, why does it have to come back to this world? See, this is simple evidence. When people ask, you know, is there such a thing called rebirth? You tell me. If you keep eating ice cream when you want ice cream, if you accept that, can't you accept rebirth? I mean, is it so difficult to get your heads around? Show me a man who, when he wants ice cream, eats ice cream. That's a man who's going to be reborn. Simple as. So how do you know whether you're going to be reborn or not? If when you want something, you go seeking it. Fear not. Fear not, rebirth will happen for you. Because this is, as we say, unfinished business. There's, this business can never be finished. Year on year, month on month, week on week, day on day, hour on hour, minute on minute, and second on second.
chitta on chitta. What happens? This continuous cycle for the search of pleasure. All because you believe pleasure exists out there. You know, this is the perfect place to begin any conversation. If you want to have a conversation with someone, you want to introduce them to Buddhist philosophy, start with this. You are a good audience to have this conversation with. Because I, I believe here we have, we have, this is the ambassadors, the Jetavana ambassadors. Huh? I believe your quest is not only your own salvation, but also to help and encourage others to do the same. This is a very good place to start any conversation, because anyone with an ounce of intelligence, they don't need a complete brain cell, half is enough. With half a brain cell, you can understand this stuff. This is not rocket science, is it? And then ask him, gentlemen, sir, madam, last time you ate ice cream, what did you feel? I felt good. If you felt good, then why did you go back and eat it again? Why didn't the good prevail? Why didn't this feeling of goodness linger on and on and on? You felt satisfied, but that was only very momentary. Where did that satisfaction go? If you kept you know, feeding the, the taste of ice cream onto your tongue, you just constantly keep feeding it. Imagine, you know, say you could, because these are receptors, right? It's a shape. These are shape receptors. They're not really taste receptors. They're not smell receptors. They're actually shape receptors. So put that shape on your tongue. Let me say you could make a, some kind of electrical circuit to do that. And actually they have been able to do that now. So you can help people taste things as they watch them on TV. Ooh. We are very advanced now. You just have to, there's, there's a little metal thing you put on your tongue and you watch TV. So when they show you fast food, you taste fast food. When they show you broccoli, you switch off the TV. So it's just, you know, this is just a stimulus. It's, it's only a nerve that, that travels, or that carries a signal from the tongue to your brain. So, certainly, pleasure can't travel in electrical wire. Yeah? You know, I mean, if you want any evidence of this, just go and touch a live wire and see whether you sense any, sense, any pleasure. You won't live to tell the tale. So electricity cannot equate to pleasure. Pleasure cannot travel in an electrical wire. So if you constantly keep feeding your five senses the same sensation, you know well and truly that shortly after you begin this experiment, the pleasure is going to start to fade. How much more evidence do people need then, ladies and gentlemen, to understand this principle? How many times have we, you know, studied for science at school? We've even done this, like various experiments at school. We've learned this. We've studied this. That, you know, the, the, the five senses, they acclimatize. They get used to this stuff, right? You become insensitive. But they never understand why this is. I mean, I get it that, you know, smell and taste, maybe there are biological reasons for that. But what about sight? How come looking at the same thing, you get fed up? How come looking at the same thing, you don't feel beauty after a while? 
How come listening to the same thing you don't feel that sense of pleasure after a while? It's time we cemented this understanding, isn't it? That pleasure does not exist in the outside world. You know, we talk about jati all day long. We come here every week and we talk about this stuff. Are you fully there? Are you steady? Have you completely understood and installed this as your operating system in your minds? Is this the principle that runs through all the time? Are you at one with this? This is only a question that you have an answer to. I can't answer this on your behalf. Or do you still seek pleasure from the outside world? How do you know? If when you want something, you go looking for it in the hope that it gives you pleasure. In those moments, you're doing everything but what the Buddha advised. It is not the answer to the problem and that therefore you keep feeding this process. Time and time and time again, there's not going to be a way you can come out of it. And that's why this is called the vicious cycle. It's not just a cycle. You know, the water cycle is not a vicious cycle. We all understand the water cycle. There's rain. The rain water goes into the oceans. right? The sun evaporates the water, goes back and forms clouds, and then it rains again. You think that's a vicious cycle? Why not? Hmm? Because the quantity of water, it doesn't change. It's fixed. Yeah? But here, this is not just a cycle. It's not any old cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Every time you go through this, you're feeding ignorance. Because how much... You know, this planet can only hold so much water. There's a fixed amount of water that this planet can hold. But how much ignorance can the mind hold? You know, there's this lovely saying. The difference between genius and stupidity is that genius has its limits. You've heard that? So what's the difference between wisdom and ignorance? Yes, yes, there's infinite wisdom. I get that. Hmm? But how ignorant can one be? You can be infinitely ignorant. Because this process has, can keep on feeding itself. How many things are you attached to right now? If you took stock of all the things that you're attached to, can you, can you name them on your, on your five or ten fingers? Yeah, I have about ten things I'm attached to, so I'm not, so not more than that. Really? Ten things? Can you make an exhaustive list of all the things that the mind is attached to? No, even if you said it was sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, you know, these are just the categories. How many sights are there? An infinite list. Sounds, an infinite list. Smells, same, ago, same goes. So, it's, you can never make a, a, an ex extensive list of all this. Because there is an infinite number of things that the mind is attached to because ignorance is infinite. So, here is the infinitely wise one. Here are the infinitely... Mom's the word. I'm not going to say anything. So, have you spotted the infinitely ignorant one? Don't tell anyone. 
infinite ignorance because ignorance keeps on feeding ignorance. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, without the Buddha's help, there is no coming out of this. If anyone has ever broken out of this cycle, he or she is a Buddha. If they have done it all by themselves, we either call them a Sammasam Buddha or a Pacheka Buddha. No, none other. Because how does an ignorant mind see what's wrong with itself? You know, that's nothing short of a miracle, isn't it? How does a crazy guy come to know that he's crazy? If that were to happen, don't you think that's short of a miracle? I'm mad. You all know this. You do, right? I mean, look at me. I'm mad and I come to know that I'm mad. The moment I come to know that I'm mad, can I any longer be mad? No. You can't be mad and know that you're mad. If you know that you're mad, you're no longer, you're no longer mad. So, understand this, this cycle is the first step that we must all take. And we're not just understanding, but actually start to live this. What do I, what do I mean by living this? I mean, whenever this happens in your mind, you will, you will sense it. You know, vexation, you, you all experience that. The fire of desire, you all experience that. The fire of aversion, you all experience that. Just take desire for the time being. When wanting begins to surface in your mind, you know this is happening, don't you? You're not immune to it. You're not insensitive to it. You know, oh, here's wanting. You know it. It's like, you know, there's a pressure that starts building inside you. You know when it happens. You know when you feel the need to turn your head to look at something. You know you, you, you have the need. You know you, you, know you, want, you want something when you have the need to stick your tongue out and taste something. When you inhale not purely for the purposes of existence, to breathe, you're inhaling it because you want to smell something. In these moments, tell yourself, this is why I am reborn. This is the rebirth. See, in here, don't you see a rebirth cycle? Hmm? Why are we talking about humans being reborn? Or giraffes, or elephants, or monkeys, or donkeys being reborn? You know, here's rebirth. You can sum up rebirth in this cycle. See? The rebirth of the hope of achieving wanting. That is what this rebirth is. They, keep, they say hope keeps you alive. There you go. This is hope keeping you alive. So if it keeps you alive, then every moment you are dead, you are born again. So it keeps you alive. See? Hope keeps you alive. This is ignorance. Ignorance constantly gives you hope that it's fine, this time round it didn't work out, but hold on, next one, it's going to work. That is what ignorance is. I'm not talking about someone else, am I, right now? Who am I talking about? You, us, all of us. Now we are talking about the human condition, we are talking about your condition, we are talking about what's been happening to you all your lives. You know, this is a big deal, ladies and gentlemen. It's not something we can just take with a pinch of salt. Or just ignore, because this is a big deal. 
I mean, this is the deal. Do you sense the gravity of this? Do you? Do you? Do you realize this is what's happening to you? Do you realize herein lies the answer to all of life's suffering? And herein lies the answer to the, 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 answer to the riddle of, of existence? Everything you've always wanted is in here. See, summed up in just one little cycle. This is the Buddha's teaching. This is the reason he comes into this world. Because without his help, there is no coming out of this trap. It's a trap. Where's the bait? Yep. Here's the bait. This is the reward that keeps you going. You know, like the carrot in front of the donkey. Only the promise of reward, but never actual reward. Why is the carrot a perfect, I mean, it's a perfect trap for a donkey, isn't it? You try the carrot, but, you know, just enough, just close enough so that the donkey can smell the carrot, but it can never taste it. Therefore, the donkey is self-motivated to keep going forward. Because hope keeps it going forward. Just as much as hope keeps you all going forward. Hopeful that in the next step I take, yeah, this time round didn't work, the last step didn't get me any closer, but I'm sure the next step will because I can smell it. It's just right up my nose. It's just there. I can smell it. It's, I know it's there. Just one step forward and I'm sure I can get it. So the donkey carries on. It needs no other encouragement. It needs no other motivation. It needs no other reward because the promise of reward is what keeps you going. Not reward, the promise of reward. Are they one and the same? You've used this technique to get people to do things for you. Now don't all act like saints now. Take your halos off first so I can talk to real people. Whether it was your children, to begin with, you trained them in this art, the art of manipulation. And then, when you wanted to hire someone to get something done for you, you know this is how things get done in the world, right? You know this is the method. Right? If say you, you hire you know, a skilled laborer to come and do some work for you, you want him to, to, to build your whole house. So he first builds a wall, and, and he says, right, can I have my payment now? I'll give you half. Do you mind just starting the other one? I'll give you the other half then. Now he has to. So you see, he's always one step behind. So the promise of reward is what brings him back to work the following day. It's the promise of reward that takes you to work every day. If they paid you your month's wage in advance, dot, dot, dot. Hmm? So imagine they paid you your month's salary up front. You wouldn't be so enthusiastic to get to work. But there's always the promise, not the salary, not your remuneration. It's the promise of it that keeps you going. Because the mind always seeks something, a, a, a future pleasure, the promise of pleasure to keep going. 
But of course, when you get it, you feel it, it was worth it. That waiting was worth it. Getting out of bed every morning was worth it. Have you never felt that way? Getting out of bed was always worth it. Now you are nodding your head this way. That's only now. When you were younger, what were your goals? To become monks. Yeah, I can see that. Getting out of this trap was your goal? <clears throat> no, your goal was what? I'm going to study hard. I'm going to get myself to a good university. Then I'm going to get myself a good job. Yeah? Then I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to earn a lot of money. I'm going to become successful. I'm going to become rich. I'm going to be well known in my trade. I'm going to be well respected. See? These were the goals that you had. Never this. Because you hadn't met the Buddha. That's why. Until the Buddha met the Buddha, he was also doing this. And then he met the Buddha. So he went looking for the Buddha. He found Alarakalama, not Buddha. Then he found Uddhakaramaputta, not Buddha. Then he find, found five ascetics. None of them were the Buddha. But he was hopeful. I will meet the Buddha one day. So he realized then ultimately, I can't be, you know, there's no Buddha. Where is this Buddha? So he sat down under the Bodhi tree and determined, I want to meet the Buddha. May the Buddha come to me. Because I've gone looking for him, I've gone roaming here and there, everywhere, but I couldn't find the Buddha. I don't know where the heck this guy is. So I'm going to start sitting down here and I'm going to make a firm resolve. If the Buddha is out there, you better come to me now. And so he did. So if you want to meet the Buddha, what must you do? Ah, shall we go seeking? If you go seeking the Buddha, here's what will happen to you. Stop seeking the Buddha and the Buddha will come to you. If you go seeking the Buddha, it is not Buddha that you seek. Something else, but you think it's Buddha. That is what you think is pleasure. Pleasure seems almost like Buddha. What do I mean by Buddha here? Peace of mind. Happiness. Joy. Pleasure. Feeling good. Freedom from this tense vexation that you have to endure. Chitta on chitta. Stop seeking the Buddha and the Buddha shall come to you. Buddhas shouldn't be sought after. They come to you. You just got to stop looking for it. Stop this seeking. But how can you? Because you are still wanting. So how can you stop seeking? Then you better stop wanting. But how can you stop wanting? Because the last time you went through this cycle, you experienced pleasure. So how can you stop wanting? Because the moment you experienced pleasure, ignorance was reinforced. So, surely, it's out there. I just couldn't get it, like, you know, for certain. It was, I, 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 I sensed a tinge of it. But I'm sure if I do it one more time, I'm going to get it. It was there, just momentarily. Just, just a flash. It was there. I got it. So, if I do it one more time, I'm, I'm dead certain I'm going to get it. And this time, I'm going to get it for good. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to keep it for myself. So, you rub your hands, get yourself ready, flex your arms and muscles, and you get going. And go seeking again. 
So then where should we stop? We should stop pleasing. Oh, but you can't stop pleasing. Because you've just acquired something, something's just come in and you're always, you're hopeful, you know that it's there. You know, you know. You know, ignorance is not a state where you're unsure of what you know. Ignorance is where you're sure of what you know, but what you know is wrong. You know, it's like, imagine you woke up, you know, in the, in the middle of the night. And say you, you t- typically wake up at, I don't know, what time do you wake up? 8 o'clock? 10? 12? When mother wakes me up? I don't know. <laughs> so imagine you wake up at 4. Right? Can you tell the difference between 4 and 5? Usually it's very difficult, right? The, the sky hasn't lit up yet. Okay? Oh, 4 and 3? Still, you can't say so if you didn't have a clock that was visible at the time you woke up, you wake up at around 3. Now you're not sure. Is it, is it 4 yet? Is it 3? Is it either? What time is it? So you have to take the clock or watch and have, have a look at the time. Right? So, but let's say you didn't have something to look, the, look at so to, to, to tell the time. Now you wake up and you think it's the right time. We've all had this experience. Because it's still dark out there, but you think it's the right time, you, you assume that it's the right time, then you, you know, get out, you go to the washroom, you, you brush, you wash, you take your shower, whatever, you dress up and you come back, and everyone's still sleeping. <laughs> Everyone else is. So, like, well, what's up? You know, why don't you get up? What do you mean, why don't you get up? <laughs> it's still 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> get back to bed. So, when you're ignorant, there's no doubt about it, is there? Were you in any doubt that when you tasted chocolate, that the, the, the sweetness, the deliciousness was in the chocolate? Were you in any doubt about this? Before listening to this nonsense? Were you in any doubt? No, of course not. Until we came along and brainwashed you, right? you, you, you most certainly believed that this pleasure is out there. How do we know this? Because you bought the chocolate. If you were in, were in any doubt, would you have bought the chocolate? No, you wouldn't have. So you bought the chocolate. This is proof that you thought that, the, that, that this good, delicious taste was in the chocolate. So you bought it. And sometimes you might have even gone you know, a long way to get it. You know, walking down to the street just around the corner, the, the shop just around the corner is one thing. But getting in your car, driving in traffic, going to central London to buy a milkshake. I mean, that's crazy. I know someone who did like that. <laughs> Don't ask me who it was. I'm not going to tell you. So this guy, to tell you how crazy he was, that there's this lovely milkshake joint, central London. At 11 o'clock at night, because they were open until 4 in the morning. Because they knew they were idiots like these people. <laughs> there is this wonderful Oreos milkshake with the helping of Nutella. Mmm. <laughs> what am I just doing to you? At 11 o'clock at night, you get in the car, start it up, you've got to wait, and because it's cold out there, so you have to wait. I mean, sometimes it would be snowing out there. <laughs> that didn't stop this guy. 
so there was snow on the on the windscreen. So you'd scrape the ice on the off the windscreen. Then you'd have to grit, you know, the the uh, the lawn to drive the car out onto the onto the main road. You do that. He would do that. Not you would. He would do that. Then he got the car on on the, on the road, and then he'd drive all the way to central London. Once in a while, driving in a bus lane, and that would cost him another fifty quid. <laughs> If not a bus lane, it was a cycle lane. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, the, uh, the, the, the milk chase was worth like 19.95. But the total cost of the journey, 19.95 for the milkshake, about 15 pounds on petrol to drive to central London and back in traffic. You know, central London is always live, right? 11 o'clock at night, 4 o'clock in the morning makes no difference. And then 50 pounds for driving on the bus lane. That was an expensive milkshake. But wanting was so severe. If you wanted it, you had to go seeking it. But unfortunately, this guy didn't know that the tongue doesn't bring pleasure. The tongue only brought taste. He didn't know this stuff because he hadn't met whom? Hadn't met the Buddha. Have you watched this? How I Met Your Mother? Hmm? Hmm. Shall I tell you how I met the Buddha? <laughs> now, you know, this is one story, one person's story. What about your story? See, time and time again it was this. You know, this is all darkness, not a ray of light, no wisdom at all. This is complete darkness. This, all of this happens in complete darkness. No one sees it's going on. If you did, you wouldn't do it. So if you've stopped doing this now, it's because you have seen that this is what has been happening. Suffering can only be where there is no wisdom. Suffering can only be where there is no light. Suffering can only be where there is darkness. This is the dark force. Not the Darth Vader, but the Dark Vader. This one. So the Buddha comes along. He says, I have found the Buddha. I found him. He came to me. Now let me bring him to you. See, he doesn't, he doesn't deal with wanting. He doesn't. Neither does he deal with seeking. And not acquiring or pleasing. None of these things. What he deals with is ignorance. He tells you things as they really are. In other words, ignorance is the ignorance of this. So, this can only run for as long as you don't know that it is this that is running. There's only one process like that in this whole world. Because there's only one process that is ignorance-driven. Yeah, I mean, there's no other force or, or cycle in, in, in this world, is there, that when you come to know of it, it stops happening? Is there? Is there? I mean, the rain cycle. 
So those days it used to rain when man thought that it was God that used to rain. There was a rain God who rained on earth. And then people found out that you know, there's a rain cycle. What happened? Did it stop raining? Has it rained? Is it, beginning? Is it raining less now? I mean, deforestation, I'm not talking about that. Huh? But no. Then there's a carbon cycle. There's the hydrogen cycle. There's the oxygen cycle. There's the nitrogen cycle. There's all of these cycles. They just keep on running. You can, either you know it or not. It just keeps running. But there's one cycle. If, if you know that it's going on, it stops. This is like hide and seek. You can't play a game of hide and seek if you have sought. You can no you know, once you've said, ah, gotcha, now the game has come to an end, right? It's what this is. Game of hide and seek. It's hidden. Seek me. Once you've sought it, it's no longer hidden. If it's not hidden, then there's no longer hiding, and therefore this process cannot run. Our efforts are nothing but to come to Samaditi. Samaditi is the understanding of this process. Samma Sankappa, then, is having understood this process, the application of this process. That is what Samma Sankappa is. I always tell you, I can give you determination and I can, beg your pardon, I can give you motivation and I can give you inspiration. What I can't give you is determination. And I can't give you discipline. Where do these two factors come from? They are born within. They cannot be gifted to someone. I can motivate you. Come on, this is the goal. Let's all head there. Yeah, you all want to do this? We can do this. That's, we can do this. That's motivation. You get up on your feet. Right? Let's, let's go. Let's, let's make a start. Inspiration is showing you the destination. Yeah, there's the destination. You know, this is the destination. This is what it looks like. Last week I asked you to dream a state of mind where there is no desire. You know, have that dream in your mind. What does that feel like? You know, a mindset where there is no desire. A mindset where you have no anger. No jealousy. No hypocrisy. No, no, no anger. No frustrations. No annoyances. No, you know, no grievance. No sorrow. No fear. A fearless mind. A free mind. A joyful mind. I can give you inspiration. I can show you what that looks like. Then I can show you how to get there and I can get you started. But you need to be determined to get there because along the way you will come across obstacles. What are those obstacles? The very things that you need to overcome. That's it, nothing else. You know, is a broken arm an obstacle to, to your salvation? What do you think? No. It's, a, it's an obstacle to fetching a pail of water. Yes, but it's not an obstacle to salvation. What about a broken leg then? How about a broken arm and a leg? Obstacles? No. You, you can't find three square meals to feed yourself. Your family is poor. You are poor. You can't feed your family. You don't have enough money to feed your family. Obstacle to salvation? Is it? No. Not an obstacle. Sunita and Sopaka, do you think they had enough to feed their family? They didn't have enough to have a family. Let alone feed a family. Was it an obstacle to their salvation? No. So, you know, what I'm asking you to do, ladies and gentlemen, is you will have problems in life. Yes, understood. Put them to a side. Don't mix them with this. 
There will be problems in life. You will have challenges in life. Now you will have problems like, how do I look after my children? How do I look after my wife? You know, my father is ailing. My mother is old now. She's got a cancer. How am I going to attain Nibbana with all that going on in my life? See, this is what's stopping you from Nibbana. Not an old mother. Where's old mother in this? Where's your father in this? Where does your, where does your son feature here? Where does not doing so well at in, your, in your job feature here? You wanted that promotion, you're just not getting it because there's someone else who's always pulling you by the leg, going after the boss and you know, bad-mouthing you, so you're not going to get that promotion. Not going to happen for the next million years. Now you're working your socks off day and night, you're working weekends, you're pulling in all the long hours, burning the midnight oil, but nothing's happening for you. Now you become frustrated. You're wondering, you know, how am I going to attain Nibbana? I don't even have a good job. My job is my, my boss is not in favor with me. I, my colleagues don't get along with me. I'm not getting that promotion. I'm not getting that pay rise. I'm not getting that bonus that I thought I was going to get by the end of the year. So how can I make progress on Nibbana? What? <laughs> Wake up. What sort of question are you asking? See, let your worldly life be your worldly life. Sort those problems out as a separate matter. That's a different affair to this. An entirely different affair. These, are, these two things are not one and the same. If, we, if it were, the last thing we'd be doing at this monastery is getting you all to come here. That's the last thing we'd be doing. Because when you come here, let me tell you all the things we have to do. All the problems we have to solve. We have to make sure that this room is vacant for this sermon. We have to make sure that the chairs are laid out so you can, you can come and sit. You don't bring the chair from home, do you? Well, yes, you offered the chair, but we have to lay it out. We have to sweep the place and mop the place and clean the place. We have to draw the curtains. We have to make sure the aircons work. We have to make sure the lights work. We have to make sure the camera is set up and it all works. Yeah, maybe you wash the feet, but we have to make sure there's water in the, in the bowl. We have to make sure there's a towel next to it. We have to make sure that the Buddha statue is here. We have to make sure that this place is, is pleasant enough. It's got the right ambience for you to come and be here. We have to make sure that both the washrooms are washed. We have to make sure that when you press the button, the, 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 the toilet is flushed. We've got to make sure there's water there. And because we are also gluttons for punishment, we can't just do it with our devotees. We want to bring them and help them become part of the family. So you, we don't just stop you at, at, the, at the stage of a devotee. We become an anagarika, become anagarika, become sravaka and sravika and uesis and so on. If any of those problems were obstacles to Nibbana, believe you me, you and I would probably never have met. <laughs> they are not obstacles to Nibbana. Nibbana is one thing. Those are all worldly affairs. See, the Buddha attained Nibbana and there are still problems in this world, aren't there? Temples still have to be built. Shrine rooms have to be built. Dhamma halls have to be built. Sangha vases have to be built. See? Robes have to be sewn. Paths have to be paved. Statues have to be made. The Buddha puja has to be cooked. Arms have to be given. The joysticks have to be lit. The wicks of the lamps have to be placed in place and, and, the, and the oil put in there. So that you can light it. And the matchsticks have to be there in the box. 
But the Buddha attained Nibbana, he passed away in the Paranibbana two and a half thousand years ago. And problems are still there. But that is, has nothing to do with Nibbana. And I speak to you because in all your lives, right, at least this side of those two steps, there will still be problems in life. Because there's a part of you that still have to balance, right, and, and, and steady yourselves out there. So you have to be stood on your two feet while you work on your Nibbana. I understand that. But none of that is an obstacle to this. This is a purely mental affair. It, you know, see, ignorance is the only problem here. Once Samma Aditi has happened for you, then Samma Sankap is what you need. There isn't, a, there isn't an auspicious time to do Samma Sankap. You know, there's no Rahukala for that. It's to be done all the time. What's the, what's the right time to be doing Mitya Sankapa? Tell me that. Hmm? Do you set yourself like, you know, time of the day to be in Mitya Sankapa? Do you? No. You do it all the time, right? Even in your sleep. <laughs> See how good you are? When, you're set, when you set your mind to something, even in your sleep. Right? Remember those days when you used to study for your exams? In your sleep, what did you used to do? You'd used to work through sums. Like if there's a day where I've been preaching sermons for long, you know, even in my sleep I'm preaching. Sometimes I see your faces. I'm like, what are you doing here at this time? <laughs> Sometimes I chase you away. I'm trying to sleep. Out. <laughs> and then I realize, no, I'm the one who's asleep. <laughs> nothing to do with this. So if Mitya Sankapa can work in your mind all the time, then why not Sama Sankapa? You know, this is just a different track. If you, when you drive on the motorway, right, you're on one track. But there are other tracks that run parallel, aren't there? You just pick which track to take. Sometimes you, if you want to maneuver yourself ahead of another vehicle, what do you do? You drive to your right, you overtake or left. Uh, equal opportunities, however. Hmm? We have Mr. Germany here. Hmm? <laughs> oh, so right or left, whatever. Right. So you you, you got to keep on the right lane, right? But there are multiple lanes that run to the same destination. So if one lane is Mitya Sankar, but then the other lane is what Samma Sankar, and the destination is you. Having completed the task, the worldly task. What worldly task? Cooking, doing your homework, filing in that report, typing up the report, having a meeting with your boss, making plans for the next financial year, doing the budget at home, whatever. Washing the kids, washing the dishes doing the laundry, sweeping the house, watering the, the, your garden. Whatever. That is the destination. The task is the destination. The lane, you, do, you, you get to decide. Do you do this or do you do the other? This just keeps on feeding ignorance. 
You having to do the task has nothing to do with Nibbana. Nibbana is merely the fight against jati. It's the fight against suffering. That's all. <coughs> Granted, once you have understood the Dhamma, <coughs> excuse me, once you have really understood the Dhamma, there will be some things in life that you, you will no longer need to do. Yeah? There will be some things in life you will no longer need to do for yourself. But if you are in a family, then there will be things that you will still continue to do because it has to be done by yourself on behalf of others because it is your duty. That is understood. But that has nothing to do with Nibbana. So Nibbana is not isolating yourself from your duties and responsibilities. Because if you isolate yourself from all your duties and responsibilities, then what is there for you to do and what is there for you to practice your Nibbana on? Hmm? Because if, you know, your wisdom, the truth, you need to see, you need to reflect on and contemplate about Rupa, about Vedana, about Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. If they stop coming to you, then how, on, on whose account do you reflect? If the Rupa stops coming your way, then what are you going to reflect on? See, you take a Rupa and you study it. So what is Buddhism? It is a study of Rupa. The real study of Rupa. Not the punishment of Rupa. It's not to do away with Rupa. It's to study Rupa and really understand Rupa so that you don't, you only use Rupa, you don't abuse Rupa. Abusing is where the problem happens, not in using. When Abhisankara happens, when you use it, now Abhi and use is abuse. <laughs> that is what is wrong. That is, what you, that is what is wrong. So using Rupa is fine. Using Vedana is fine. In fact, if there were no Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, where is the mind? Then where is the mind to attain Nibbana? If no Rupa is to come to your mind, how, do, how does a Chitta arise to do the job of Nibbana? So, you know, particularly this side of the, of the steps, right? you will still have problems in life. Let those problems be. Sort them out as much as you can and while you're alive. And remember this as well. You know, one day when you're gone, the problems will still remain. It will just take a different shape, a different size. It will take a different configuration. Today is your problem. Tomorrow, it will be another man's problem. That's it. The problems will always be there. But we get this feeling that, you know, I have to solve all these problems before, before I go. You know, I have to sort my children out to the nth degree. I, in my lifetime, I have to sort my children out, I have to sort my family out, I have to sort my neighbors out, I have to sort my relations out, all of them, the, the whole world. I have to sort the whole world out, because I have to do it. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? You don't need to do that, because when you're gone, someone else will pick up the baton, and they will do it. Just like you picked up the baton from somebody else. You're, you got married at some point in your life, right? You picked up the baton from her father. That's what happened. (laughs) 
Do you not remember? He gave a pat on your back and hugged you and said, Oh, thank you, you are you know, God's son. <laughs> he couldn't thank you enough. So you picked up the baton from him and you relieved him. Now he's coming to the sermons, he's listening, <laughs> he's practicing the path, he's going to attend Nibbana. <laughs> Whereas you, you are now carrying the baton. So, you know, one day you're going to have to pass on this baton to somebody else. And the same goes with your children. Remember, you know, even when the, you know, it is said that when the Buddha passed away, the whole earth shook. It's said in the scriptures, you know, whether it's true or not, we needn't worry about it. It is said the whole earth shook in despair, that the Buddha has passed away. Right? Too much grief. Mother earth, it is said. Is it still shaking? Is it still shaking? Is it? No. Did your father ever say that the earth is still shaking because the Buddha, the Buddha passed away? You went your grandfather? Have you? At some point in your life, you mentioned grandfather, you're fortunate enough. Did he say the earth was shaking when he was younger? No. So it must have stopped shaking long time ago, right? Do the history books say that it was shaking? The only account of this you can find is in the tributary. And that was also many, several hundred years after the Buddha's passing away. Maybe there was people there who witnessed it in that moment, right? But that was only in that moment. So even when the Buddha passes away, there's an amount of grief and then the earth settles. Things go back to normal. Right? And don't you be worried that when you are gone, that the whole world will fall apart. People are not just going to run a wall. Right? It's not going to happen. Your children are not going to go and hang themselves. They will do just fine. Why? Here's why. They have this. When the mind is vexed, it will find a way to free itself from suffering. If you help, they will take that help. If you don't help, they'll go find a way. Now, I know, you know, there will be some among you who had little help from your folks, from your parents, to start up in life, to get, to, you know, to get along in life. Some of you may have had the luxury, but there will be others who haven't, who, who didn't. But you had to build a life up for yourselves. Maybe you started with nothing. Like my father always used to tell me. He has a nice story to tell me. When I came to Colombo, Bhutan, I only had 10 rupees in my pocket. And I came with my briefcase and my 10 rupees. And with that, I built up a family. And I'm very proud of you, Bhutan, he says. <laughs> yes, yes, Apache, I know. <laughs> so I tell him, so, you know, he, he, yeah, he says, you know, when, he, when it was time for him to leave home and, and start a life, then, you know, there was no one to really help him. But he managed. He, he's done fine. I think he's done well enough. You have me <laughs> because of him. So he's managed all right. See? What happened? But here's the thing. Like, when, when we become personally and emotionally involved in situations... When we forget that it is ignorance that's feeding this process, then you, 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 you know, the, whole, the whole world's problems become your problems. If, if you allow the world's problems to become your problems, then you can never go. Why? Because those problems have to be solved, haven't they? 
that becomes an unfinished business. So for as long as the problems prevail, you'll have to keep coming back to solve them. Yes, we all have a part to play, but our part ends. Where our part ends, we need to be able to let go. Right? And, and come to terms with the fact that it is not our duty to fix the whole world. It's not, it's not your, totally your responsibility to fix you know, every part of your family. There's a part that others will have to do. There's a part they have to do. Yes, you have to do a part. That is your duty, your responsibility. Yes, we all have to have a part to do. There's a part the monks have to do. Are we not involved in fixing your family? Fixing your family up? Yeah, see, we are also involved. And the Anagarika Mahatma is involved in fixing your families up. You bring them here, you take, bring them to the sermons and they start listening to you and the monks start talking to them. Right? And, you know, see, we have a part to play in fixing your family. Your teachers are involved in fixing the family. Their friends are involved in fixing some of it. Relations and neighbors, you know, they're, they're all part of it. It takes a whole village to raise a child. Well, it takes a whole village to, to keep a man happy. So, my ask to all of you is, this is one. Everything else is another. Don't let that interfere with this. So, I make this appeal to those listening to us online as well. You know, across the, the borders, across the oceans, far in far away lands. Perhaps you are still waiting to find answers to your life's problems before you and, and sort them out and then come and jump on the on the ship to Nibban. If you wait for all your problems to be solved, hear you me, <laughs> ain't gonna happen. It ain't gonna happen. Because there's never gonna be there when all your problems are solved. Let me ask you, you've been practicing the Dhamma for the how many last years? Two years, three years, four, five, six, maybe longer. Are all your problems solved now? You no longer have problems. So if you waited until all those problems were solved to become a Sila Sravaka, when would that have happened? Then yes, in the Maitri Buddha Sasana. If you waited for all your problems to be solved, before you became an Uvesi or a Sravika, when would that have happened? It would never have happened. If our monks waited until all their problems were solved to, become, to come into robes, when do you think that would have happened? <laughs> it would never have happened, sir. Never. But we feel that we have to be there to fix the problem. We, have to, we feel that we are, the, we are the people who are holding these two, these two wires together. If we let go, the whole thing is going to collapse. No. Remember, the world has its own way of surviving. We are simply a small fragment of this whole puzzle. We think so highly of ourselves, too highly almost. But that is a trap. Don't fall into it. If you are in it, get out of it, is what I'm asking you to do. In the midst of all this, you will forget your purpose of coming here. Speak to the Anagarika Mahatmyasa, Anagarika Mahatmyasa, Swami Nansa. When you have those you know, conversations after the sermons, just ask them, Swami Nansa, did you solve all your problems before you became a monk? Ask them. See what answers they'll give you. 
speak to our Mahatmyas and ask them, did you solve all your problems before you came, came into becoming into the Anagarika program? If they did that, you know, we'd not have an Anagarika program. There's not a single person alive who has solved all their problems. The Buddha never, you know, when he became a Buddha, he, he hadn't solved all his problems. He only solved this problem. But if you don't solve this problem, then your problems will always be there because they are your problems. So that is why I say, this is your task and your task alone. If you do this, what will happen is, the problem will still be there. <coughs> Excuse me. You will step out and someone else will come in and take that place. And that will carry on. When it's time for them to do this, they will step aside and someone else will come along and they will hold it in place. Remember, most divorces end up back in marriage. How is that so? Someone else will pick up the baton. Just because you can't get along with her, or you can't get along with him, doesn't mean that you know nobody else can. There are plenty of fools out there. So don't you be worried. No, let the world. All I'm asking you to do, folks, is you know, take a step back. Don't get too embroiled in what's going on out there. I'm not saying to to completely forego your responsibilities or duties. That is not what I'm asking. So please don't misunderstand me. As a father, you will have duties and responsibilities. As a mother, you will. As a son, as a daughter, you will. But do find out where you can draw the line. And do try and draw that line as close to yourself as possible, not as further from yourself as possible. And do draw that line as, you know, when I say as close to you as possible, in the near future, not in the distant future. Because remember, as you're walking along this path, so, you know, solving all those problems and doing your duties and responsibilities, you know, precious time is passing you by. You can do all those things for others, but who's going to do this for you? Name one other person that can do this for you. Not this, coming out of this. Name one other person that can do this for you. Can anyone do that for you? No. And if you don't do that, then you're always in this loop. And inside this loop, you have everyone here. Your family is in here, your car is here, your work is here, your cousins are here, your neighbors are here, your your aunts are here, your uncles are here, your grandparents are here. The whole world and its dog is here. So that is why you know, I speak to all of you whose faces I can see as well as those whose faces I cannot see, but I wish I could right, take some action with your lives because it is actions that will bring you results. Yes, you can stay at home and watch these sermons. You can tune in every Sunday. You can download these talks and watch them for as long as the cows come home, but the, the, you know, the cow is at home. <laughs> I'm asking you to let loose that cow so that he can come here. You know, let the Dhamma heal you. It's time someone else picked up the baton. Because there are very few and far between. You'll find people who are really 
born for this, to get out of this. People sometimes come and ask me, Swami Nath, is everyone to, you know, thought like you, then who's going to run the world? I, said, I say, when the, when the sun rises in the west, come and talk to me about this problem, and we'll find a solution. How many Buddhas have come and gone? Countless. Right? Even if you don't believe in the past, right? past Buddhas, our Buddha, right? our supreme Buddha, he is the fully awakened one, he is the full, fully enlightened one, he is the omniscient one. Right? He is the teacher of all humans, teacher of all gods. He lived only two and a half thousand years ago. You know, that's a, the bat of an eyelid in comparison to the world history. Right? I mean, it's like, just blink your eyes and that's the time it took for him to pass away. In comparison to world history, there's recorded history of fossils and whatnot for millions of years. Whereas the Buddha's coming and going only happened, what, just, you know, a very short time ago. And therefore, the Dhamma is pristine. It's still potent. It's still there. It's like if you took an antibiotic, the, the, the potency of that drug will start to fade in a little while, won't it? But the Buddha Sasana, the establishment of the Buddha Sasana only happened two and a half thousand years ago. So by this point, there should only be a handful of people living in lay lives. Don't you think? Even the Buddha couldn't achieve that. His 80 great disciples couldn't achieve that. The great emperor Asoka, who built 84,000 stupas, and still, you know, you think half of India has ordained? Half of them have attained Nibbana? Much of the country doesn't even believe in Buddhism. They're not followers of Buddhism. So, this is not a real problem, but it's a problem that it's a make-believe problem. It's a it's a it's a wonderful trap. It's what Mara's people tell each other. So you know, I, I have the liberty to speak to you because you have allowed me to speak to you like this. Yeah, because if you don't like this, you can get up and leave. And that is not meant to offend you. You, I'm, I'm talking about the ability. I'm not saying get up and leave. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you know you can get up and leave if you don't want to listen to this. You can tune out on YouTube. You know, there are plenty of other recommendations that will come up on your right-hand side. You can click on any one of them, but you still listen to this sermon. So you have given me the, the liberty to speak to you. What I'm saying is, this is happening right now, and you have only one opportunity to break free from this. Don't you count your lucky stars day in, day out on how fortunate you were to come across the Buddha's teaching. Don't you? And see how long it took for you to come across that. You know, where are you in your lives? Ask yourselves. By now. You know, are you in your teens now? Where were those wonderful teens? Gone. Are you in your twenties? Gone. Are you in your thirties? For most of you, gone. Forties? Fifties? Sixties? Ah, now we are getting close. Hot, 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 so in answer. <laughs> See how far you had to wait? How long you had to wait for, to come across this opportunity? And now you are beginning to understand that this is useful, this is good stuff. That this is what you were waiting for, this is what you were longing for, this is what you needed all your life. If you could go back in time, couldn't you? Wouldn't you? If you had a time machine, if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you wish for, you tell me? 
a time machine, but with the teaching. So you could go back with the understanding that you have now and start practicing from when you were younger. This is why we open our gates to our young children at Noble Hearts. So they have what we didn't have. We want to make available what we didn't have to our younger generations. You know how wonderful there is a young boy there. How fortunate he is. In comparison to me, you know, we are worlds apart. Yes, I might be a monk today, but he started young. As I said, it's not, it's not what you are dressed in. It's your attitude that takes one to Nibbana. Our young Anagarikas, our young Anagarikas, you know, starting at the tender age of 14, 15, 16. See, they have a whole lifetime, you know. If fate is kind on them, if, if merit is, if they have plenty of merits left within them, right? And they, they have a life worth living, a, a life that can be lived well, a life that can be lived meaningfully, so that something of essence can be achieved. So I, I, I speak to you and I urge you, don't wait for all those problems to be solved. They will never be solved. Ask any one of us in this monastery. Ask any one of us. Speak to any one of us and, and, and see whether any of us had solved all their problems before coming in to take this up, breaking free from this. As the path to us, as, as the objective of our life and the ambition of our life. You know, when we realize this is the truth, what we realized was we are better to doing this, breaking out of this, than doing the things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. This is far better for me to break out of this cycle than to become a doctor. It is. Because becoming a doctor, I can only fix you up once. But if I do this, and then I teach you how it can be done, I can fix you up once and for all. So if you had the choice... Today you are a doctor. If you had the choice to go back in time and learn the Dhamma at a younger age, would you have still chosen medical college or would you have chosen Dhamma college? So why are you still waiting for, to get your medical college entrance, I ask you? Yes, the world needs doctors. Remember, it is the world that needs doctors. If you don't become one, don't worry, they'll give another one a chance. You know, when they make a short list of all the students who qualify for medical school, right? right? If someone says, no, I can't be bothered, do, do, they think, do you think they're going to say, oh, well, unfortunately, this year we are only, we are, you know, we're going to take one less into med school? Is that what they do? No, if you, if you stand out, someone else, you know, there are ten more waiting to get into your seat. Hundreds more. Maybe just missed entrance by one, one mark, perhaps. Or by, just because, you know, by virtue of where they applied from. Maybe had they applied from a different district, they would have got in. Yeah? So, you know, equally qualified. So, do you think the world needs more doctors? What do you think? Is that what the world needs? More doctors. We have enough engineers, enough engineering knowledge in our world to send man to the moon. Do you think it's more engineers we need?
We have enough intelligence in our heads to invent imaginary currencies. It's not even real stuff. Do you think it's more economists we need? More financiers we need? More bankers? More technologists? Do you think without you, technology will, will begin to fade away and, and disappear? Are you what? Elon Musk? Let him do what he's come into the world to do. Let him. He'll do that. If I could speak to him, I'd ask him to you know, kick sense into himself. If I could speak to him. But unfortunately, you've got the medicine that he hasn't. You hear this truth. He hears about mass from the people he associates. He doesn't understand this. I care about him just as much as I care about anyone. Because after all, Dukkha is Dukkha. There is no your Dukkha, my Dukkha or Elon's Dukkha. Dukkha is Dukkha. That's why the war against terrorism, this is terrorism, this war against terrorism will never end. Aren't you terrified? Does life not terrify you? See, that is the war against terrorism then. So, wherever you are, if you can hear these words, I ask you to put some sense into your heads and save yourselves because whatever path you're on right now, it is not going to take you to happiness. You think it is, but it's not. Speak to a few more people who've already achieved the pinnacle of whatever you're striving for. Ask them whether they are happy. If you ever get a chance, you know, read what Steve Jobs' autobiography and see the last, the last thing that he had to say. I'm well regarded, I'm, I'm, I'm very successful by many accounts. I'm wealthy, but somehow, somewhere down the line, happiness escaped me. Today I lay in my bed, wondering where I went wrong. If I had a time machine, I'd go back and speak to him. Because he has done so much for the world. Technology has advanced so much thanks to people like himself. himself. But who was there to look after him? Who was there to teach him the truth? You know, they deserve the truth just as much as you do. Just as much as you do. Everyone deserves the truth. You know, this is a, this is a right of everyone that has a mind that suffers from ignorance. Just because they're rich, do you think they're happier? Honestly, tell me. Do you think rich people are happy people? Is that one and the same? Then was the prince out of his head to leave his kingdom? Do you think powerful people are happy people? So how much money does a, does a happy man have? You can't answer that question because money does not bring happiness. Wealth does not bring happiness. There's nothing in this world that brings happiness because nothing can bring happiness. Happiness is within you. Therefore there's nothing that can bring you happiness. But people expect 
other things to bring them happiness. It's so easy, isn't it? When you don't have to fight for your own happiness, someone else will do it for you. You just have to outsource happiness. What a defeatist mindset that is. I, you know, I, I'll just sit on my backside. Someone will bring me happiness whenever they're ready to do so. That's what people do when they expect their, their, their wife to bring them happiness, their husbands to bring them their friends to bring them happiness, food to bring them happiness, drinks to bring them happiness, sights to bring them happiness, going around the world, traveling to bring them happiness. I'll just be here. Right? One of these days, someone will bring me happiness. I'm saying... Take ownership of your life. If you don't do this for yourself, no one else is going to do it for you. I speak from the bottom of my heart and I speak very sincerely to all of you. You are here and you are fortunate to be able to see, see me and hear me. By me, I mean the Mahasanga. Right? But I'm, I, in particular, I, speak, I address to those who are not here. You know, Young men, young women. Anything this side of, you know, 100 is young, by my account. If you are still good of hearing, if you are still good of seeing, right, you can see things, you can hear things, you can understand what I'm saying, you are still young. Right? Save yourselves. You don't have to be there for the, world, for the world to operate itself. Step outside and see, the world will still function. When you left your last company, did they shut down? Did they? What, happened, what, you know, what would happen if you, if you left without informing them? Do you think then they'd shut down? No, they still wouldn't. They've always made plans. Any good business will make plans. Any good workplace will make plans. You know, what if this person... Because, well, you know, when you die, you inform them in advance. How many of your colleagues have just died? You know, one, one fine day you get news. You know, this person had a heart attack, had a stroke, dead. So what, they closed down that department? No, because there are a hundred others who are waiting for that opportunity. Because everyone wants a part of this world. Everyone wants to be someone. Everyone wants to get somewhere. Everyone is in this, in this loop. Right? This, is, this is saturated. No one wants to get out of this. Not for a fault of theirs, but because they don't know that there's a way out of this and they believe that this happiness is the real happiness. But, like I always say, you know, it's as if you are a different species. You need to do something else to what everyone else is doing. Take action, ladies and gentlemen, do something. Come out of your regular living patterns, I, I, do what you have to do. Right? If, if you can't step outside from your usual run-of-the-mill stuff, do what you have to do. But this, please focus on this. And if you are fortunate enough to step outside of this cycle and actually come while the sasana still prevails, don't delay it. Particularly if you are delaying it because you think if you don't do it, then no one else will. That is a complete lie. Stop lying to yourselves. Stop making up this crap. It, it doesn't make sense. If you step outside, someone else will come and sort it out. You know, it's only, you're only eating that pudding because no one else is there. If you stop eating it, someone else will come and start digging into it. Everyone wants to have a slice of that cake. 
everyone. If you let go of your wife, there are many other men who are out there who will, who will more than willingly take her on. Trust me. If you don't trust me, try it. <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, come and tell me. Saminasa, you said to give her up and no one is now willing to take her on. Don't you worry. Now this is not me saying, you know, to go home today and file a divorce case. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is start, you know, start thinking about your salvation. I'm talking to a very small crowd of people, ladies and gentlemen. You know, although it seems like, you know, these talks get online and people out there are watching them. It's like a drop of water from the vast ocean. That many people watch these talks. You think that surprises me? You think that disappoints me? No, that is how it's meant to be. I'm talking about getting out of this system. When the whole world, YouTube was not invented to get out of this system. It was invented to keep you in the system. That's why what you like to watch, they give you again. You can watch. To watch. Their algorithms are designed to keep you in it. They give you a tube mentality, a tube view. You are in the tube. You know, when you are in a tube, who decides which end you come out of? The person who designed the tube. You can't come out of that. Because that is the tube that you have to... If you step into the tube, you have to come out the other end. And who decides where that end is? The person who designed the tube. So you are in one. It's not designed to help you come out of it. None of this is designed to help you come out of it. They don't build restaurants so that, you know, you eat, take three meals and then you decide, you, you feel like, I think it's time I went and attended Bana. They don't make puddings like that. Every restaurant will try to make, will try to satisfy you, will try to please you, will try to make sure that you return. To make you return, they have to please you, mustn't they? Otherwise, with the pudding, why do they play music? What's the connection? What's the connection, honestly? If you went in there because you were hungry, why music? Because you went there for the pudding, but you come back because of the music. They want you to keep coming back. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because that system is designed to keep the world going, and the world will always keep going. My, my point is, why, why do you want to be the lab rats? Why do you want to be the guinea pigs? Let the wheel keep turning. You step out. Let someone else come and take that seat. And that is not out of, you know, out of no compassion for the others who are going to come and take your seat. They still haven't, they're not ready for it yet. There are some people, if you, if you speak to them about the Dhamma, you know, they'll walk away shouting and blaming and screaming, screaming and perhaps even swearing at us. What nonsense are you going on about? There's no pleasure in this world. There's plenty of pleasure. Some people don't come to the talks because we say that pleasure is just, you know, a, a fantasy. They don't like to hear that stuff. Oh, you're always going on about pleasure is not out there. Pleasure is, pleasure is there. Why, why is he talking about it? And some people, they, like I said, you know, they don't come to the sermons because they're worried. They're, they're fearful that if they listen to this stuff, they'll start losing <laughs> their sense of pleasure. 
That's like you know. That's like you not liking to go to the doctor because if you have got a rash in your arm, on your arm and you keep scratching it, and the doctor says, "Don't scratch the rash," because if the more you scratch it, it's just going to get you know, it's going to start spreading all over your body, right? And it's only going to make it worse. So stop scratching your rash. And because the doctor says, "Don't scratch the rash," people don't like to go to the doctor. See, this is the lay attitude. Don't you think it's just crazy? So how, how do you convince someone like that? It's just not their time yet, that's all. You know, we have compassion towards all of them. Because I know that I was probably once like that. Maybe, you know, maybe in my last birth I was like that. Maybe in a hundred births, you know, back I was like that. And then somewhere down the lane I started changing my way of thinking. Preparing myself to meet my teacher. Maybe that only started in the last you know, couple of hundred births. Perhaps. I don't know. But somewhere down the line it happened for me. But what I'm saying is, you know, these words, they fall on deaf ears most of the time. But none of you are deaf. Because you're still listening to this. And those who are online watching these talks, I tell them, don't wait until the whole world sorts itself out, because it is not your role to fix the whole world. It's your role to fix yourself. That is what you were born into this world for, to fix yourself, to sort yourself out. The Buddha didn't go fixing the world until he had fixed himself. You know this. So if you consider him your teacher, if you are saying he is my master, uh, he is my guide, then follow in his footsteps, sort yourselves out, for those of you who are entangled, intertwined in responsibilities and, 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 and duties, draw a line. I don't know where that line needs to be. Only you can decide that because I can't be dealing with the consequences of where you draw that line. Fair enough? Yeah? But you have to draw the line somewhere. I drew the line somewhere. I'm not asking you to take responsibility for, for, the, for where I drew the line, am I? It's not for you to take on the consequences, but I drew the line somewhere. Each and every one of us, you see here, who are permanent residents of this place, we drew the line somewhere. We drew the line, we drew the line somewhere. We drew it somewhere. And if you're not sure where the line is, just draw it somewhere and see what happens. If it's not the right place, people will come and tell you. Oh, trust me, they will. They'll say, oh, it's, that's too close. That's, oh, that's far too close. Push it back, push it back, push it back. All right, so you raise it. And draw it little, just a little bit further. How about now? Mm, let's negotiate, right? If not every Sunday, maybe every other Sunday? If I can't do every Saturday, maybe one Saturday a month? Please? Mm, please? Thank you. Whatever. Just draw the line somewhere. But draw it. But, you know, if you're just, you know, holding a pen in your hand, intending to draw, but you never draw, you know, you're like, oh, he's just holding a pen in his hand, he's never going to draw it. <laughs> Remember, although you believe and you feel that you have your friends, your family, your relations, your children and everyone, what there really is, is a bit of this. That's all there is, it's a bit of this. Your wife is a bit of this. Yes, she has some views that she's your wife, it's only a view, by the way. That's why today you're with someone else's wife from your former last birth. Yeah? Yeah. You're just looking after someone else's wife. 
and in next birth she will be somebody else's anyway. So you're just holding the baton temporarily. Just looking out like her father did <laughs> until you took her on. I mean, I speak about wives, nothing particularly against wives. You know, wives can think about the same about husbands, right? So others, I have to give two examples for each, 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 each thing I say. Right? So you like her father looked after her before she, he handed her over to you. You're looking after her until you hand her over to another father in the next birth. And then from father to son-in-law, son-in-law to father, father to son-in-law, son-in-law to father. That's how they carry on. So who's going to look after you? See, look at these Anagarikas. Now they don't have a husband, they don't have a father. But they're doing just fine. Because they have started sorting themselves out. They're okay. Do you not know of any widows? So? I speak to a very small population of people, and I know this. In my whole lifetime, maybe I can speak to a few 10,000 people. There are 8 billion out there. Of the 10,000 people I speak to, maybe a thousand will take me seriously. The other nine will listen to it. They say, that's good, subscribe. Oh, and hit the bell icon. Ting, ting. But that's the extent to which they will engage. The thousand will take it seriously. Six hundred or so will watch it regularly. Five hundred will decide, maybe we need to go to the monastery. You know, just for a week. See what it's like. Five hundred. I'm talking about not this year, I'm talking about my entire lifetime, by the way. Okay? 500 will come to the monastery. 300 will decide, I want to stay on for another week, another couple of weeks. The other 200, they go back. Yeah, I tried it, another restaurant, <laughs> and they move on to something else. Either they'll go back to listen to the talks online. Oh, they just go back and they, they've now tried it. Same, same. Just a different name. Because they, they, they won't internalize this. 300 will, will decide, oh, no, try another, another week, another two weeks. 200 will decide, we want to stay on. I think this is, this, this, there's some essence in this. Something to be had. Something to be absorbed into our lives. And you know, it makes sense. The Buddha, he made sense. There was real truth in that. One hundred, having decided that they want to continue on this journey, will actually take this leap. They will dedicate their life to this path. One hundred. That is all I can do. But ten thousand heard this voice. 10,000 will have heard this voice. A hundred will have given up their whole life for this. What you give is what you get. Give your life entirely. And the sasana will give its life to you. The sasana will breathe life into you. If you breathe life into the sasana. 
This is true in every facet of life. What you give is what you get. The extent, the degree to which you are willing to give yourself to the sasana, the sasana will give itself to you because ultimately it is how much you practice this stuff. So if only a hundred of you will make that jump, 9,900 individuals will pick up the pieces that you left behind. Whatever duties and responsibilities you had to leave behind because you had to draw that line, 9,900 people will pick it up. They'll say, thank you to you. If you're coming here, you want to, I don't know, you've got nothing to do with your car now. You've got nothing to do with your house now. Some, some decide to make use of it to the sasana. Others, you know, they give it away. When you decide, you know, it's time for me to come to the sasana, there'll be plenty of people out there, your long-lost relatives. You will not even know that you had them until they come to know that you're going into the sasana. Then first they'll come and try and stop you. They'll tell you, what, what nonsense, what are you doing? What rubbish? What are you getting up to? Are you nuts? That I can forgive because, you know, if you don't understand this, then out of compassion they will try and stop you and they'll try and get you to do what they think is right. Fair enough, right? But then when it comes to a point where it's decided that you're going to go, right? they realize that you, they can't change your direction now. Now, they're somewhat happy that you're going. Because there'll always be things, bric-a-brac, that they can pick up when you leave. Your leftovers the car, the house, the wife, whatever. They're happy to pick them up. The money, the bank. I mean, when you're dead, that's what happens, right? Anyway, when you're dead, someone comes, you know, all the zeros behind the one that is in your bank account, they just change the name. That's all that happens. Don't you agree? Right now it has your name. Once you're dead, they erase your name and put in someone else's name. Sometimes they split it up into five pieces, five equal parts, and they put five different names. So it's just the names that keep changing. The money is always in the bank. So the bankers keep on getting richer. Nothing against that. Bankers, that is what bankers should do. They should just keep getting richer. That is what they're supposed to do. But that is their purpose in life. Is that your purpose in life? Getting richer. If richness equals to happiness, let's all go be rich. I was once on that path. That is why I speak to you. Out of personal, first-hand experience. That is not the answer. And that's why I say, becoming... If you choose this path, you can do more good to your family. You can do more good to your friends. You can do more good to, your, to the whole world. Honestly, you can. Because if I were at home, perhaps I'd have looked after my parents, but I can only look after them until they die. How do I ensure that they are fine after death? How can I do that? How can I make them fearless in the face of death? That I can't do. If you become a doctor, all you can do is help try and, try and give someone a peaceful, physically peaceful death. How do you give someone a mentally peaceful death? For that you've got to break them out of this cycle. What is the pill that treats ignorance? Erythromycin.
There is no pill that does that. The only pill is the pill of Dhamma. I am much of much more use to my parents now that I have ordained. See, they have given up something and to the extent to which they have given up, they have got back in return. See, in giving you get. Today every word I speak to them, I help them find solace. Those days I used to be able to feed them. Right? I wanted to build up my capacity to look after them and so that you know, they would never have to worry even, even, or trouble even my brother. I, I wanted to do it all by myself. That's how good a son I was. But then I realized that's not what being a good son is all about. Because I can look after them for now. But how do I ensure that I am their son again in the next birth to look after them? That I can't assure. So what if the next time round they get someone who doesn't care about them? So then if I can ensure that they don't end up being a mother again, being a father again, now that is an assurance I can give them. But for that, I have to be here, preach in the Dhamma. You know, even if you ignore the stuff about rebirths and past births and next births, right? You can help someone die happy. Because it is not the rich people who die happy. It is not the well-to-do people who die happy. It is not the people who have eaten all they can eat that die happy. It is not the people who live in a big, in a big mansion that die happy. It, nothing, none of those things have to do with dying happy. Peace is not something you have to get after you rest. Peace is something you have to get before you go to your resting place. Otherwise you'll come back. You'll come back for unfinished business. So, lastly again, for all of you, you know, you're here, you come in and do this as much as you possibly can. If it's one day a week, then so be it. Two days a week, one weekend, so be it. But, you know, there are lots of people out there who are listening to these talks. Right? What are you waiting for? What are you honestly waiting for? Are you waiting until your, your children are sorted and settled down? When? Give me a date. Is a goal a goal without a date? Hmm? You, your boss says, right, I want some objectives for this year. See, he says for this year. He gives a date. He doesn't say, give me some objectives. I'll make you a lot of money, sir. By when? See, he asks you. So, if you haven't set a date, set one. Get yourself a date, not that date. You're too old for that. You're too wise for that. Give yourself a date. Right? Make a date with Nibbana, is what I ask you. Make a date with the Buddha Sasana. Determine when you're going to go out with this Buddha, the Buddha Sasana. Make that date. Right? If, if you haven't even started thinking about it, think about it now. You know, wherever you live, maybe you live in, in the UK, maybe you live in Canada, maybe you live in Australia, maybe you live in the, you know, the, the richest world, in the, in, the, in the country in the world. So, are you happy? When are you going to enjoy the happiness that I enjoy? When are you going to enjoy unconditional happiness? Money brings you temporary relief from vexation, that's it. So that is not the answer. The craving for ice cream is not addressed by eating ice cream. Money can buy you ice cream and more ice cream.
It cannot heal your craving for ice cream. It cannot. Because George Washington cannot do that. You need the Buddha in your lives for that. So, make a date with Nibbana. Set yourself as a date. Especially those who are physically young. If you still got youth on your side, speak to a few people, you know, come, to, come along, come to Sri Lanka once in a while. Come, come to our monastery and speak to those, speak to the people you see here. Ask them, especially those, you know, who've gone past the, the age where they can become a monk. Ask them, if you were able to start earlier, would you have done if any of them say no, then you found the wrong place. You haven't come to the Adonarama Monastery. You lost your way somewhere. The taxi driver took you elsewhere. Get back on that taxi and come back here and ask. There's not a single soul that will tell you, no, I started late and that was fine. If they've understood the Dhamma, you realize life is an opportunity. That is what life is, an opportunity. It's an opportunity to attain Nibbana, to come out of this. I say this responsibly, and I say this wholeheartedly, because I know that a mind's quest is always to attain happiness. Because I see and I know that all the things you do today, you do in the name of happiness, but you are still looking for it, because none of the things you have done so far has given you happiness, or have given you happiness. I know this. That's why I say, if you come across Nibbana, your search for happiness stops there. So come before it's too late. When is it too late? When it's too late. You're aging. You can't reverse that. You're ailing. You can't reverse that either. You're getting yourselves into even more responsibilities and duties. There'll be, there'll be certain junctions in this life where once you've tied it, you can't undo it. Because if you do, if you do such things, then you know, they'll burn you alive on a stake. You know, you've just <coughs> helped the man relieve himself from his responsibilities. You think he's going to be happy when you give it up again? No, that's why they have a system in this world to ensure that people simply relieve themselves from vexations and pass it on to somebody else. You know, vexations are never solved. <coughs> it's like, you know, in this world, there's energy. Energy only takes one, you know, it only transforms from one energy to another, right? In the same way, vexations are only transformed from one to another. That's why I say a father's problem becomes a son-in-law's problem. That becomes a son's problem. That just continues like that. The problem will always remain. It is just the person who takes on the problem who is relieved. But the problem will always remain. Poverty will always remain. Hunger will always remain. It will just become someone else's problem. Who is running America? The problem will always remain. Someone else will come and take that seat. The problem will always remain. John F. Kennedy sacrificed his life for America. But still, the problems still remain. Yeah. 
Mahatma Gandhi sacrificed his life for India. But the problem still remain. They are still unsettled. Tensions are still there. Those two countries will keep fighting forever and ever and ever. Yes, there will be ceasefires from time to time. The problems will always remain. The presidents will come and go. The prime ministers will come and go. The chief of the army will come and go. Hmm? Even if they were a wheel-turning monarch, they'll come and go. Because we've had plenty of them. The Sakradeva will come and go. The Mahabrahma will come and go. The president of this country will come and go. Right? The problems will still remain. Someone else will just take that seat. So you see, you know, if the president, if the presidenthood of this country can be transferred to somebody else, don't you think your job can? If that job can be transferred, if who runs America can be transferred to somebody else as a responsibility, don't you think your responsibilities can? If that can be, can't yours be? But why don't you? Why can't you? Because you feel, if I'm not here, then the whole world will fall apart. This is all jati. So come to your senses and do something about yourselves. Break yourself out of this. This is the, this is, I, I, most, I believe in this. I believe this is the last opportunity that we'll have for a long time to come. Remember that this Buddha Sasana will only survive for another two and a half thousand years, and in fact less than that. Hmm? What are the chances of you being born human and being born with your five senses in its good, good condition, understanding the Dhamma, coming to a place where the Dhamma still prevails, right? being of good faith and intelligence to be able to listen to the Dhamma, to, to actually accept the Dhamma. As I said, 10,000 people we speak to, only a hundred of them take it on. 9,900 of them, next. So, what if you come into that situation? What if you are born somewhere where you don't even get to hear them? What if you are born in the middle of a desert? Yes, you will be born into an oasis. You know, there will be the vadis there to, to feed you and all that. But, where is the Dhamma? What is the point of a human life if there is no Dhamma? Because this is the only path to freedom. What's the point? You are beginning to understand this stuff, aren't you? Hmm? Pleasing your senses is not the answer. It's pointless, it's useless. Yes, you know, it still makes you happy, understood. Right? When you enjoy, you enjoy. Yeah, that en- and that enjoyment feels real, yes. But at least now you're beginning to understand that this is just, this is just fake. At, at least that I, I think you're beginning to understand. So you can't give yourself a pat on the back whenever you experience pleasure. You ought to be giving yourself a kick up your backside. See, I'm still experiencing pleasure. What does that tell you? I'm still seeking. Meaning, I'm still vexing. So that's why I say it comes a point in life, through this, on, this, on this path, where you begin to fall out of love with pleasure. And I really hope that that has begun to happen for all of you. That's where you begin. You will still experience pleasure, but you will fall out of love with pleasure. Pleasure will still happen within you, but you'll begin to understand, pleasure is not good. It's just an enemy in disguise. 
The very fact that I experience pleasure means I'm already in a big problem. When you scratch yourself, if that feels good, more so than when you scratch yourself here, if this feels good, then what does that tell you? You've got a rash there. That's a problem. I can only tell you what I know. I can only try and encourage you to do what I do. I will give you thread. You, you weave as much as you possibly can. As much as you possibly can. I will try to give you the bliss that I enjoy today. You know, whatever you might think. You know, you think this is right, you think this is wrong. I can only do what I think is right. Because I know freedom from desire to the extent to which I understand it today, is so blissful. The fact that, the simple fact that you can have a good night's sleep. You can shut your eyes down and, you know, at night, not having to worry, no fears, no, no worries. I mean, that is what I was born human for, wasn't it? So I can have a peaceful night's rest. If, if, if you know, your dog at home has a more peaceful night, then, then it's master. Now who's the master? <laughs> because you give it food, he, does, he doesn't have to worry about it. You give it shelter, he doesn't have to worry about it. You bring him a spouse when the time is right, he doesn't have to worry about that. Now you give him the injections, you give him a safe environment. You wash him, he doesn't even have to worry about that. If he has a tick infestation, you do all that as well. You take him to the vet, he doesn't even have to worry about that. You drive him around. He just has to sit and put his tongue, stick his tongue outside the window, enjoy the breeze. Huh? See? Well, I mean, why don't you even, why don't you give yourself at least a dog's life? Why endure so much suffering? I mean, you're human after all. You don't deserve to suffer like this. You're an intelligent species. We are human beings, come on. But look at how much we stress ourselves earning money, paying the bills, getting into debt. Huh? Do you know a dog that got into debt? No, but if the dog doesn't have food, the master will get into debt. He'll go and buy his credit card that he has to pay at the end of the month. And once he, because he can't clear his credit card, he has to take another loan. A consolidation loan. See? The dog gets a free meal. Yes, there is such a thing called a free meal. You've got to be a dog for that. But when you're a human, there's no such thing as a free meal. You have to work hard for it. So what do we do now? We all go become dogs. No, what I'm saying is, get yourself out of this dog of a life. Get yourself out of this dog of a life and actually afford yourself the human the reward of humanness. Enjoy that. If <laughs> you were born human to free yourself from suffering, why don't you understand this? You were born human to free yourself from suffering. If you haven't gone too far already, take a turn now before you tie that knot, whatever knot that might be. I'm not necessarily talking about one kind of knot. There are lots of knots that if you tie them, it's very difficult to undo them. Very difficult. 
There are some anagarika mahat, there are some anagarika mahatmya. Sometimes, you know, they build houses because they want to have a nice house for themselves. Two stories, three stories high, right? Because they're beginning, starting up in their career before they became anagarikas, right? They buy themselves some land in an expensive part of the country and they start building a house, right? And now it's a two-story, three-story house. Their plan is they want to settle down, right, with their, with their spouses once they get married and then they listen to the Dhamma, <laughs> Now, there's a house that they have to sell. And then they wonder, why did I bother building that house? Because now, you know, if you are not there, if you're, if you're, you, they, they can't be here because they have to be there. Because someone's got to look after it. If you build it, you have to maintain it. There's never a time where you build and someone else maintains who built this? Who built this? You built it. So who maintains it? There you go. Best example. Others will help, but you are responsible. So build a house? Maintain it. Build a family? Maintain it. Buy a car? Maintain it. Get yourself a bracelet? Maintain it. Get yourself a watch? Maintain it. Put on the curtains? Maintain it. Whatever you build, you have to maintain. Because everything is by, very, by its very nature has a tendency to collapse. Because it is your energy that keeps it together. This is the whole point of manifestation. Chitta energy has to constantly be kept pumped to keep something in that shape, to keep something in, to maintain that form. Without that chitta energy, Natural tendency is always to disperse. That is the nature of anicca. Anichang adduang, anitang viparnavadhamma. The nature of anicca. Its tendency is always to disperse, go back into pure energy. Because energy doesn't belong to anyone. <coughs> if you change the form of energy, you have to keep pumping energy. You will always have to keep, keep pumping energy to keep something in a particular shape. Let go of it. It disperses, collapses, falls apart. That's why whatever you build, you have to maintain. So now sometimes, you know, before, they want to become an anagarika, but they can't. Because there's a house they have to look after. See, what has, what has become of them in life? Now they're a housekeeper, aren't they? They've got the Dhamma, they want to come here, they want to practice the path, but they can't because they have to keep, keep guard. Now they're a security guard. And they put the house on the market, no one wants to buy. Because there are times when houses are saleable, there are other times when they're not. Right? When the, if the economy takes a downturn, nobody wants to invest. Yeah? What, if, what if someone burgles it? You've got to keep the burglars out. Even if there are rowdy children here and there, you've got to keep it safe. See? Then you've got to, main, you've got to, white, you've got to whitewash it from time to time. You have to clean it, you have to dust it, you have to break the cobwebs. You've got to do all that. But what they want to do is now become an anagarika. But they can't. Fate is so cruel. So what I'm saying is, you know, those who are young among you, especially those who haven't made those big life-transforming choices in life, if you have begun to listen to these talks and you feel that there is, you know, something of essence here, you haven't quite gotten it yet, but there's something of essence here, before you take that plunge, Listen to a little bit more. Try and absorb this 
a little bit more. Because after you've done that, after you've taken that leap, it's very difficult to jump back. I speak to you like this because every human deserves freedom. Every human being deserves freedom. If you knew how difficult it was to be born human, you'd do nothing else. But fortunately, people have forgotten the price they had to pay to be born human. Karma is a female dog. You have forgotten the price you've had to pay to become human. So therefore, human life is spent so carelessly. Human time is spent so carelessly. It is spent trying to earn something so you can leave it for someone else to come and take it once you go. What have you done for yourselves? Think about it. At least think about it. Then these words will not have been in vain. Think about it. I, I, one, one last time. I honestly speak from the bottom of my heart. If I don't mean any of those things, of these things that I tell you, if I don't mean this in, in, the, in, the, in, in the same intensity with which I, I tell it to you, right, then these words will... We won't make any sense to you. I, I won't be saying it. I can't emphasize this point enough. Human, human life is so valuable. I wish more people understood it. Human life is precious. I wish more people understood it. Human life is to be treasured. I wish more people understood that. Let's bring the sermon to a close for today. Right, let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, listening to the Dhamma, inviting the Swami Nuhanse to deliver the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who have since time immemorial, have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down to the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today as to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks and nuns and anagarikas and anagarikas resident at the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer this message and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by translating or transliterating these talks and sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May by the power of these merits they be they abstain from themselves from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contribute to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who pass on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. 
May by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment chance for this maze to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employees and empl- employers, our teachers, our friends, acquaintances, as well as those who would have gone every distance to help make our lives as comfortable as it could be. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, the spirits and demons and primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the demons, gods and deities who have committed themselves to fulfill and preserve the Sambuddhasasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful lie over us and keep us out of harm's way. By the power of these merits, may they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to those who have passed away in our name. Our forefathers, those who have gone all the way and made every, those who have shed blood, sweat and tears on our behalf and it is thanks to them today we are able to enjoy the comforts that we find ourselves in and practice the path comfortably. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation as well as those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe may they all rejoice in these merits let us transfer merits to those who have lost their lives in natural disasters and calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes landslides, fires, blizzards um, pandemics and so on reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of sansara they will all have been mothers and fathers to us brothers and sisters to us friends and acquaintances to us will have gone every mile and inch on our behalf. May they all rejoice in these merits and with infinite compassion towards all of them. May they rejoice in all these merits that we have all acquired by the power of these merits. If any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become a Rahatan Mahanse or an Arahat Teranin Mahanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. <clears throat> Raga ginnen midatnva Desha ginnen midatnva Moha ginnen midatnva Nibbana Parma Sukhayan Sukhita Taravatnva Nibbana Parma Sukhayan Sukhita Taravatnva Mamada Siyalu Loka Siyalu Satnvayo 
निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार राग गिनी द्वेष गिनी मोह गिनी निवान 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 नि